Question 50, the Baptist Catechism, is which is the first commandment? That's a very straightforward question, isn't it? So we will simply recite the first commandment. The language used here is, is old, uh, but we will follow uh, the guide of our catechism here. The answer is this. The first commandment is, the first commandment is Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And now question 51 follows up by asking, what is required in the first commandment? What does this first commandment require us to do? And the answer is, the first commandment requires us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God. Let's just repeat that last portion of it. To know and acknowledge God to to be the only true God. And our, God, and our God, and to worship and glorify Him accordingly. Very good. The scripture reading for today is Joshua chapter 24, and we will be reading verses 1 through 15. You should know who Joshua is. He was the successor to Moses. He would be the one to lead the people of Israel into the promised land after they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. You will remember that Moses and that generation were not permitted to enter into the promised land because of their lack of faith. But Joshua would take them into the promised land. It is interesting to note also that Joshua is the Hebrew name which in the New Testament is rendered as Jesus. It's, this is Yahshua. He is the one who leads His people into the land of promise. And and Yahshua, Jesus Christ our Lord, will lead His people into the promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. We are to make these connections, brothers and sisters, as we follow along with the story of redemption. Joshua 24, verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor. And they served other gods. Did you hear that? This was Abraham's heritage. They were an idolatrous people. And Joshua is reminding the people of Israel now of their heritage. Then God says, I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, He put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites and Perizzites, the Canaanites and Hittites, the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you and drove them out before you the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow, 
I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, says Joshua, we will serve the Lord. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this evening. There's a good reason why this commandment, Thou shalt have no other gods before me is the first. It is the first of the ten, because keeping the rest of God's moral law truly and from the heart starts here. Why should we obey God's moral law? Well, there are many reasons to obey it, but the greatest reason is because it is God's law. We obey it because it is from God. We obey it because God is our God. He is our greatest love. He is our Lord. We live in submission to Him and for His glory, for He is our Creator and Redeemer. Why should we keep God's moral law? Because it is God's law. And so the first of the Ten Commandments does direct us to have God as God and to have no other gods except Him. It is not difficult to see that many will attempt to keep God's moral law, at least the second table of it. Um, But because they neglect this first commandment and the first table of the law which flows from it, even their obedience to the second table of law is regarded as sin, for it does not flow from faith, nor does it have its aim as the glory of God. I wonder if you can imagine this. Uh, The world is filled with people who make it their aim to keep the second table of the Ten Commandments. They they may aim to honor their parents. They may not murder, nor commit adultery, nor steal, nor lie. They even may pursue contentment, but what is their motive for doing these things? Why do they seek to live a life that is morally upright? That is an important question to ask, isn't it? What is is driving them to seek to live a so-called moral life? For many, their motive is a good life. They want to have a good life, and so they seek to be moral and and, and upright. Uh, Perhaps they desire to have a good reputation within Society. Maybe they would like to have peace in their heart and prosperity in the world. Now, now these are not invalid motivations, but they cannot be our supreme motivation. If we are to keep God's law truly and from the heart, we must start not with the fifth commandment, but with the first, which says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We are to obey God's law because it is God's law, and God is our God, and we are His people. We are to aim, first of all, At His glory, we are to live for His pleasure. This should be our primary and leading motivation. And the first commandment is the first of the first table of the law, because here the object of our worship is identified. We have already learned that the second table of the law, that is commandments 5 through 10, has to do with our duty towards our fellow man. And that the first table of the law, commandments 1 through 4, has to do with our duty before God. But as we consider these two tables of the law more closely in the weeks and months to come, we will see that there is a rationale and a flow within each table of the law. The first commandment identifies the object of our worship. 
Who is to receive our worship? Answer, the one true God is to receive our worship, and none besides Him. This is the first commandment of the first table of the law, because the object of our worship is here identified. The second commandment will speak to the manner of our worship. No idols are allowed. We are to not bow before graven images. The third will speak to the attitude of worship. We are to not take the name of the Lord in vain. And the fourth will speak to the time of worship. One day in seven is to be set apart for the worship of God. So you see that this first table of the law does have to do with the proper worship of God. And the very first commandment simply identifies for us the object of our worship. Who is to be worshipped? God alone is to be worshipped and none other. It is not difficult to understand that before we can move on to consider how God is to be worshipped in commands 2-4, through we must know who it is that we should worship. Which is why God begins by saying, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So what does this commandment require? What does it require? For the sake of clarity, I'll remind you that in the next question, our catechism will ask, what does it forbid? And this will be the pattern as we progress through the Ten Commandments. Of each commandment, we will ask these two questions. First, what does it require? Secondly, what does it forbid? I think this is a wonderful approach. Uh, Though these commandments might be stated negatively, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Um, It's not just that we are to refrain from certain things. There is also a command implied that we are to do certain things, namely to give worship to the one true God in this instance. So we will move on from here to ask, what does it forbid? And after that, we will also ask, what are we especially taught by these words before me in the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What is meant by that? The words before me. And so... We will not finish with our consideration of the first commandment tonight. We will return to it again on the next Lord's Day evening, Lord willing. But let us start by asking what the first commandment requires of us. What does it teach us to do and to think and to feel? First of all, notice that it teaches us to acknowledge God to be the only true God. That is what our catechism teaches us, and rightly so. We are to acknowledge God to be the only true God. When God speaks negatively, saying, Have no other gods before me, He at the same time speaks positively, by way of implication, saying, You are to acknowledge me as the only true God. I think there is an awful lot packed into that little statement. And I hope you would agree with me. There is a lot packed into that little statement. Stated negatively, Have no other gods before me. Stated positively, Acknowledge God to be the only true God. And if we were to take the time to thoroughly define terms, we probably would be stuck on this catechism question for months and months. I really did reflect upon this when writing this this little sermon here. If we were to take each of these terms and just settle down and define them thoroughly, we would be stuck here for a very long time. Think, for example, of the word God. Think of that one little three-letter word, God. What does it mean? What does it mean? Who does it refer to? What comes into your mind when you hear that word, God? Is it merely an abstract and undefinable concept? Is it left up to us to fill this term with meaning, that is to decide for ourselves what or who God is? And the answer to those questions is certainly not. In fact, the point of this first commandment is to warn us against doing this very thing, making a God for ourselves, either with our hands or in our minds and in our hearts. 
When God said, you shall have no other gods before me, he was declaring himself to be the one true God, and he was forbidding his people from having gods of their own, either in their hearts and minds or before their eyes. So who is this God who has claimed to be the only and true God, who has forbidden us also from honoring any other thing as God? Well, clearly, he is the God of Scripture. He is the God of Scripture. We know that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. It was through Moses that these Ten Commandments were given originally to Israel. They are recorded for us in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. And so if we wish to know who this God is who said, You shall have no other gods before me, then we must go to the Scriptures. We must read Moses to find out. And and from there we must read the rest of the Old Testament and also the New For God has graciously revealed Himself to us in the Scriptures. In other words, the word God means something very specific. God is not ours to define. He is ours to acknowledge. That is a very important little statement right there. God is not ours to to define. He is ours to acknowledge. And this, brothers and sisters, is the starting point of all true religion. To first of all come into submission to God's word and to receive God's revelation of himself to us humbly. This is the starting point of all true religion. There is another way and it is the way of the world and that is to make a God for yourself and to decide for yourself who he is and what he requires of us. No, we must come and we must submit to him humbly. So who is this God? As I've said, it would take me a very long time to tell you. We must go to the scriptures and find out. But let me provide you with this very brief summary which can be gleaned from the book of Genesis and the first part of Exodus alone. Even if we were only to go that far into the Holy Scriptures, we would learn this. One, God is the creator of all things seen and unseen. God is the creator of all things seen and unseen. And so if we were to consider all that exists, we would have to confess that there is the creator and then there is the creation. Nothing else exists besides these two things, the Creator and the creation. And the first commandment demands that we properly distinguish between these two things. That is what it is requiring us to do. We are to properly distinguish between these two things, the Creator and the creature. In other words, we break the first commandment when we allow the line between Creator and creature to become blurred. What are these gods that the Scriptures speak of? What are they? What are the gods that God forbids us to have? They are merely parts of the creation that men imagine to be gods. Men throughout the history of the world and to this present day have made this fundamental error. They worship the creation rather than the creator. They treat the sun, moon, and stars as if they were gods. They bow before demons and kings They form and fashion for themselves images of gold and silver to bow down before them. They even worship themselves, living for their own pleasure and purposes. And this is the thing that God forbids. We cannot live a life that is good and well-pleasing before God if we confuse the distinction between the Creator of all things and His creation. And this we learn in the earliest chapters of Genesis, don't we? In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. 
There is God and there is His creation and we must not blur the distinction between these two. We must honor God as God and everything else we must put in its proper place under His authority. Two, even in the book of Genesis we learn that this God is a God who speaks. He revealed Himself to man in the garden and He made His will known to him. And this He has done throughout the history of the world and supremely in Christ And I wonder if you have thought much of this, brothers and sisters. God is a God who speaks. And this is why we are able to know what the word God means when we utter it. It is not a nebulous and undefinable term. Though it is true that we cannot comprehend God fully and exhaustively, we may know Him truly. How can we know Him truly? We can know Him truly because He has spoken. He has revealed Himself to man. He has given us His holy word. And so this God that we hear about in the Ten Commandments, this God that demands that we have no other gods before Him, is a God who speaks. He has revealed Himself so that we might see Him clearly and know Him truly. Three, God is a God who redeems. He is a God of mercy and grace. And this is made clear in the earliest chapters of Genesis also, and certainly in the book of Exodus What did God do in response to man's sin? Well, among other things, He showed mercy and extended grace. He promised to provide a Redeemer. He promised to provide a Savior, Christ Jesus our Lord. And we see even in the book of Exodus that He provided a kind of redemption for the people of Israel to bring them out from slavery in Egypt. This God is a God who redeems Now, of course, so much more could be said about God, who He is and what He is doing. I've only barely scratched the surface. But I have said this to remind you that when Israel received the Ten Commandments from God's hand and heard the words, they knew what He meant. When they were told, you shall have no other gods before Me, they they knew what was meant by this. They They were to honor God as God. They were being forbidden from looking at anything in the created world and to bow down before it as if it were God. He is the creator of all things seen and unseen. He is the God who redeems, and He is the God who speaks so that He may be known. So what does the first commandment require? First of all, it requires us to acknowledge God to be the only true God. And then secondly, we learn that it requires us to have God as our God, to have God as our God. So, so what is the difference between acknowledging God to be the only true God and having God as as, as our God, or having Him as your God. What is the difference between the two things? Well, I hope that you can see the difference is very great. It is possible for someone to acknowledge the God of the Bible to be the only true God, and yet to fail to honor Him as such. Stated differently, the first commandment does not only require that we acknowledge God to be the one and only true God, mentally or as a matter of fact, but that we also have Him as as our God and honor Him as such. That is what is required of us here in the first of the Ten Commandments. And this is what the last portion of the Catechism implores us to do. To obey the first commandment truly, we must acknowledge God to be the only true God. We must have God as our God, which means that we must Worship and glorify Him accordingly. We must worship and glorify Him accordingly. So brothers and sisters, we must go beyond this, uh, merely saying, yes, the God of the Bible is the one and only true God. No, He must be ours. Uh, 
And if he is ours, then we are to worship him. We're to glorify him according to this profession of faith that we have made. The same is true in regard to faith in Christ, brothers and sisters. The New Testament warns us against this, right? Calling Jesus Lord and yet living in sin is a great act of hypocrisy. It reveals that there is no true faith within us, right? Those who confess that Jesus is Lord are going to walk as if He is Lord. There has to be a consistency between our profession of faith and our way of life. And the first commandment requires this. God is to be our God and we are to worship and glorify Him accordingly. How do we worship God? How do we worship Him? Answer, we worship Him in the way that He has prescribed in His Word. Commandments 2 through 4 will lay the foundation for the proper worship of God. As it pertains to the particulars, the rest of the law of Moses gave instruction for the proper worship of God under the Old Covenant. And the New Testament gives instructions for the proper worship of God under the New Covenant. But commandments 1 through 4 are foundational to both Old and New Covenant worship. These commandments that we are beginning to to consider, they, they deal with the proper worship of God as God's people. We are to honor God as the one and only and true God. He is to be ours. We are to honor Him as such. We're to have a particular attitude in our worship, aren't we? We're to forbid idolatry amongst ourselves. We're to rest one day in seven to give worship to Him. That is the foundation that is laid here. And of course, the New Testament gives us more direction as well. But we must begin here. And how do we glorify God? How do we glorify Him? And the answer is we glorify Him in many ways. We glorify God when we worship Him in public and in private. We glorify Him when we trust in His name and testify to His goodness. We glorify God when we give thanks to Him and are content in Him. Brothers and sisters, we glorify God when we enjoy His presence and live in obedience to His commandments with love and gratitude in our hearts. If He is our God, then it is only right that we bring glory to His name in these ways. So the first commandment is not kept when we merely acknowledge that the God of the Bible is in fact the one true God, no, again, we must have Him as our God and worship and glorify Him accordingly. Now, brothers and sisters, this is God's law. And so I think it is right for me to exhort you, just as Joshua exhorted the Israelites, saying, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And may we all say what Joshua himself said. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is to be our resolve if we are in Christ Jesus. But I may also ask you, have you kept this law perfectly? That is the first of the ten. And all of us must confess, no, we have violated this law in thought, word, and deed. All must confess this except one. Christ Jesus our Lord, who kept God's law perfectly in our, and in, on our behalf and died in our place that we might be reconciled to God and so that we might serve Him faithfully all the days of our life. Amen? Amen. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we do ask that you would help us in the weeks and months to come to put this law that you have given to us to memory. The first of the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Father, help us to understand what this means. Help us to know what it forbids. Help us also to know what it requires. 
And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ and for myself also, that indeed you would help us to put away all other gods, that you would be supreme in our hearts and in our minds, that you would be our God and that we would live to honor you and to glorify you and to worship your most holy name in the whole of life. Father, we know that unless we start here, we will not keep any of the other commandments that you have given to us truly. And so, Father, we pray that you would be exalted in our own hearts. Help us to love and adore you above everything else in this world that you have created. Help us to trust in you and in you alone. Help us to live for you and for your pleasure. Father, we do ask for your aid, for we admit that our flesh is prone to sin. We are so prone to worship and adore the things that you have created instead. And Lord, help us to shun this this great air and to run to you alone. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Redeemer. Amen.